Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Dutch Podcast. A look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who has already done two hours of podcasting today. Yes, earlier today I recorded the Thousand Hours podcast with Alex Towles and Alex Tam Brown. The latest episode will be coming out in, well, probably next week as you're listening to this, so stick around for that. But yeah, that was recorded earlier today, it was about two hours in length, and yet I am already back to talk about the world of German football, meaning that... Today, I will have done a lot of talking, so that's not out of the norm, to be honest. I talk quite a lot. You probably guessed that, because I do a podcast by myself that is normally somewhere in the region of 90 minutes long, and recently, I found out that that is not normal. Not the idea of doing a podcast based off of 90 minutes, but I always thought the average podcast episode length was like, you know, over an hour, but apparently... The average podcast length is actually 30 minutes, which is truly surprising to me because most of the podcasts I listen to are over an hour in length. And even by myself, it's quite rare for me to dip under an hour unless, of course, it's one of the important, very important emergency episodes, which I believe everyone on planet Earth listens to. Anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember, as per usual as well, to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about the wide world of sports. That's a lie. I cover two topics, German football and American football. But obviously, I did my usual going Deutsch goes continental, so give that a read if you want a more in-depth look at what happened to German teams in the last European window earlier this week. We will be talking about that later on as well on going Deutsch goes continental here on the podcast. But also, apart from that, I did my monthly awards for November as well. See which player gets a long overdue award, which manager surprisingly picks up the manager of the month in the Bundesliga, and which team continues an impressive streak in the spite of including a player winning player of the month for the second time already this season. We've only had three awards because I did July and August together, and then September, October, November. So he's won two out of four. So he must be a great player, but I sure hope that nobody signs him because that would be bad. Anyway, as well as I also do my weekly NFL articles as part of the NFL Blitz as well. So give it a read if you want to. Anyway, there's a few orders of business to go into before we go into the podcast proper. First of all, a big congratulations to the German under-17s team. They have won the under-17 World Cup in Indonesia. They beat France on penalties. Obviously, this has gone down very well in Germany. There's not been a lot of good news when it's come to international football in the Bundesrepublik. But they they got the win. It was a very exciting, dramatic game as well from all accounts that I've seen. And yeah, many congratulations to them. Second of all, speaking about international football, the draw for the 2024 Euros took place this weekend. It was at the beautiful Alpville Harmony in Hamburg. And, you know, I don't say that from watching it on the broadcast. I also went to the Alpville Harmony when I was in Hamburg earlier this year. And I highly recommend it. It is a beautiful building, one of the best buildings I've, I've ever seen. It's just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, it's sort of got its theming right being on the Alb. The, the sea being so important to, to Hamburg's trade, being a port city, it's, it's absolutely perfect. So yeah, highly recommend going, but 
On Saturday, the concert hall was filled by international football managers as they were ready to find out who their teams will be playing at Euro 2024. And obviously, this is a German football podcast. We are focused on the German national team here. So, the main news for us is that Germany will play Scotland in the opening game of the Euros in Munich. The other teams in Germany's group are Hungary and Switzerland. So, obviously... Putting on my German cap, which is not a cap I I normally wear, obviously. But you would hope for passage from that group. Though with how Germany have been playing this year, maybe we don't expect it. The big news from the Bundesliga this weekend, of course, was that Bayern Munich's game with Union Berlin was cancelled. There was heavy snowfall in the Munich area. Apparently, according to one of the commentators, I think it might have been Derek Ray, he said that when he was on the train going to his assignment for the weekend, the DB staff had been saying, Deutsche Bahnhof staff, were saying to him that Munich was completely unaccessible by train so yeah they, they decided to call the game off that clearly was the correct decision Leon Goretzka filmed a, a video showing the snow and it was like way past his ankles so it would have been completely impossible to play football in those sort of conditions the most recent reports suggest that the game won't be played now until 2024 so until after the winter break so that means Bayern are going to be one game down until then so obviously we don't have our full complement of fixtures to go into this weekend, but we still have 17 games from the Bundesliga and Zweite Bundesliga as well as the Dritte Liga and of course what happened in Europe. So let's start off in the Bundesliga for match day 13 of the season, unlucky for Bayern and Union Berlin apparently. And let's go to the Verse Stadion for our first game. Bochum 3, Wolfsburg 1. Bochum undefeated in 5 now in the Bundesliga as Thomas Lech and company continue to get themselves further away from the relegation places. They open for scoring in this game in the 19th minute. Patrick Oesterhag getting his first goal for the club. And then 2-0 in the 39th minute. Bernardo perfectly heading a corner into the bottom corner for his second Bundesliga goal in six years. Just before the half-time break, it looked like Wolfsburg were going to get the momentum swing that they so desperately needed when Jonas Vind would play through Matthias Vanberg to make it 2-1 at the half-time break. But in the second half, Wolfsburg weren't able to get back into the game and Bochum would get their winner late on. Root won football at its finest. A long ball was headed on by Moritz Brony Quarteng, which I think is the first time we've mentioned him all season but fantastic headed assist here to play through Christopher Antwi Ajay who slotted past Cohen Castells in the Wolfsburg goal. It was a fantastic double barrel connection because obviously Moritz Brony is a double barreled first name for Quarteng and then obviously Antwi Ajay a double barrel surname so a great connection between the two double barrelers I guess. Is that a term? I don't think that's a term for Bochum. But yeah, Bochum deserved to win this game. And again, this could be a gigantic three points in their season. They're now four points clear of the drop after 13 games. So phenomenal for Thomas Lech and the rest of the team. Meanwhile, for Wolfsburg, it, it's not going great at the moment. It's now six defeats in seven away league games. And also, they've only won one of their last seven in the Bundesliga in general. And I think... 
the main thing for me was just how unimaginative they were going forward. I mean, they had their problems at the back, particularly with that final goal. They should be doing a lot better. But to be honest, going forward, they just looked hopeless through most of this game. And that seemed to be the main concern for, for Niko Kovac as well. I, I listened to his interview in German, not for any particular reason, it was just on, and I, I heard it, and I did hear him say, defensively nicked good, and I was like, I know that, I know what that means, <laughs> so, you know, my Duolingo is coming along so well at the moment, but, yeah, it did seem to, when I translated the rest of the interviews into English, it seemed like going forward was a bigger concern, and that definitely does feel like the case at the moment. Wolfsburg are going backwards, despite the fact they're not actually too far away from the European places. They're only two points off seventh, which we would expect to be a European place come the end of the season, and four points off sixth, which is guaranteed to be a European place regardless. They feel like they're a million worlds away from that, though. They feel very sort of lacking in the forward department. And I mentioned Jonas Finn, but he's definitely taken a step back from the beginning of the season where he was so good. So, something needs to change. There are a lot of Wolfsburg fans. Not that they have many, but a lot of them are already calling for the head of Niko Kovac. And it is safe to say that if these performances continue like they have been, then he won't be be manager of Wolfsburg for much longer. Darmstadt nil, Köln won the big game on Friday night in the battle against relegation and the key thing I saw in this game was seemingly Stefan Baumgart having an argument with some of the Darmstadt fans. They were shouting at him and he was happy to argue back with them if that is what they wanted. So that was one of the more interesting clips of the week. I can't find anything in English about him talking about it, which is a, a real shame. But if you want to go and look that up, then feel free to do so. David Salker would score the only goal of this game. It's his third of the season in a game where Kuln were the better side and deserved their much-needed three points. They could have had another as well. They did have a goal disallowed for a very marginal offside a few minutes later. It was the right call, but... You can understand why a Köln fan would be gutted that they were this close to scoring. After that, there was a, a moment of panic for Köln when the referee decided to give a penalty for Darmstadt after a, a shot by Fabian Nuremberg hit the arm of Thibaut Hubers. But VAR asked him to, the ref, not Thibaut Hubers, to look at the monitor and it was clear, you know, his arm was absolutely pinned against his body. He could not have had it any further in, and the referee correctly, in my opinion, decided to not give a penalty after seeing it again. So, yeah, it was absolutely correct call, and it was correct that Cullen won this game as well. A massive three points for them in the battle against the drop. We talked about how important this game was for them on last week's episode, but the win for Cullen takes them up to 15th place. They're now on nine points from 13 games. Level on points with Darmstadt in 16th, aside they beat this weekend, of course. One point clear of Mines in 17th, and two points clear of Union Berlin, who are now bottom of the table. And Stefan Baumgart has been 
emphasising to his players that they've got to keep pushing now. This can't be their last win for another five, six games. They've got to keep pushing. They've got to take the momentum from this game and use that to really kickstart this season for them. For Darmstadt, they, they played this game very similarly to Köln through most of it. They they were both playing in a risk-averse way, which, to be honest, obviously is not too much of a surprise when it is a game with such high stakes. And through most of the beginning of the match, to be honest, it felt like both sides were more interested in avoiding defeat than they were winning. But after going 1-0 down, give them credit, Darmstadt did push. They did try to attack. They did try and create opportunities. But Kiln's defending was absolutely fantastic. And they do have to be commended for that defensive performance as well. So yeah, a massive three points for Köln. Meanwhile, for Darmstadt, into relegation places, though it's not the end of the world. By Leverkusen, won Borussia Dortmund, won. And if Dortmund had actually won this game, oh boy, I would have been going on a big rant on this podcast saying that, wow, Dortmund do seem desperate to hand by Munich the league title every single year because... Honestly, that's what it was starting to feel like. They they took the lead very early on in this match, five minutes when Julian Ryerson would score. And after that, I don't know if they were deliberately playing defensively or if Bayer Leverkusen were just by far the better side, but they, they rarely threatened after the opening goal and Bayer Leverkusen were having chance after chance after chance, but they just couldn't get anything going in the 79th minute, Xabi Alonso brought on Patrick Schick. Obviously, we are going to mention this later on, but he scored his first goal in eight months in Europe. I've already recorded going Deutsch goes continental, as I'm saying this. So when you hear that later on, and I'm stressing it and saying it like it's new information, just pretend it is. But yeah, he scored his first goal in six months in midweek in European competition and he was vital in this game because less than 60 seconds after coming on, he would play a perfect assist for Victor Boniface to tap into an open goal to get a vital equaliser for Bayer Leverkusen. And after that, they were still the better side. They were pushing, they were creating chances, being as great as Bayer Leverkusen have been through most of this season, but it wasn't enough in the end. A one-all draw was the final score at the Bayer Arena. And it ends a few notable runs for Bayer Leverkusen so far this season. It ends a run of 14 straight wins in all competitions. And because they only scored one goal in this game as well, it's ended a run going back to the start of the season. 12 straight Bundesliga games with two or more goals. Obviously, Chabi Alonso's men have been the class of the Bundesliga so far this season. And they could have very easily won this game against one of the better sides in the league. Kind of. Maybe. I don't know. Obviously... The game in midweek for Dortmund, which we'll be getting on to later on in going Deutsche Goes Continental, was a massive win for them. And on the website and in the segment I've recorded already, really should probably put that at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm not going to. I said that it could be a blueprint for future performances, and that, that didn't happen because... Erdin Terzic, after the game, said that he was delighted with how his team performed. And if the goal was to get a point then he should be because Dortmund were very resolute in defence. If he was going for the win, then he really shouldn't be because they they really didn't create any chances 
after that opening goal. So, yeah, a, a point for Dortmund, for Bayer Leverkusen, it could have been so much more. Augsburg 2, Eintracht Frankfurt won another big win for Jess Torrup and company. The first goal coming in the 35th minute from Frederick Jensen. Augsburg deserved their lead at that point, especially because they'd had a goal very marginally disallowed for offside about seven minutes before from Felix Udekai. It looked like it was on for me, but VAR said that the goal should have been ruled out and they were probably correct to say so. The first half wasn't a half of many highlights, but like I said, Augsburg were probably the better side. And Frankfurt did get off to a better start in the second half, but they weren't able to take any of their chances. And Augsburg did make them pay for that in the 58th minute by going 2-0 up Iago with a neat finish. And they had a wonderful chance in the 76th minute to make it 3-0 to put the game to bed. After a foul by William Pascho on Ruben Vargas, but Ermedin Demirovic would see his effort saved by Kevin Trapp. So he did very well, the Eintracht Frankfurt goalkeeper. The Augsburg goalkeeper, Finn Darman, not doing as well as he would turn a Mario Goetz across into his own net just two minutes later to make it 2-1. However, overall, Augsburg probably were the best side they did deserve to win. Torup continues a great start to his Augsburg managerial career. They've got 12 points through his opening six games in charge of the club. Sports show, the German football show and website, said about this game that Eintracht Frankfurt are in a mini-crisis. I, I think that's harsh. They are winless in four in all competitions, but PAOK have proven themselves to be a tough side in the Europa Conference League. We'll get onto that game later on in going Deutsch Coast Continental. Obviously, Augsburg, we've already mentioned, are in form, so they were going to be a tough side. The other side, they lost to third place Stuttgart, which, again, I don't think is, is a bad thing. Maybe you can be kind of upset with the draw against Werder Bremen, but... For me, they've, they've had a tough run of fixtures. They've not come out of it too well. I mean, there is, again, it feels like we've gone back to a few months ago where Eintracht Frankfurt couldn't finish for Toffee. It feels like we're back to that Frankfurt, and that is concerning. But to call it a crisis, even a mini-crisis for me, is probably too far their upcoming fixtures this week, they've got Saarbrücken in the DFB Pokal, so that's going to be a vital game. But after that, it's a very tough run of fixtures for the most part. They've got Bayern Munich at home next weekend. Then they've got Aberdeen in the Europa Conference League. They probably should be winning that one, though. They are already through in the group and they can't win the group, so there's nothing to fight for. So maybe Dino Tom Waller actually uses that as an opportunity to rest his players or try some new things, we don't know. But then after that, they've got Bayer Leverkusen and Borussia Mönchengladbach before the winter break. So this is going to be an incredibly tough run of fixtures, but maybe they do need something out of these. They do need a turnaround in form because... If they carry this into the winter break and then into January, then maybe it will turn into a crisis. At the moment, though, a bit too early to panic. Stuttgart 2, Werder Bremen 0. Stuttgart were wearing a special kit for this game. And the only source I've been able to find about the kit says it was designed by local artist Tim Bengal and is intended to represent Heather's cold cuts. Do I know what that means? No, not really. The commentator on the Bundesliga World feed had a different 
description of it he said it was meant to look like a superfood which is grown in Stuttgart maybe that is what Heather's cold cuts is but to be honest I've never thought of cold cuts as being a, a superfood so that that feels like a, a weird description of, of what that is Anyway, I personally think that the kit looks more like an inverted zebra because it was black with white stripes as opposed to white with black stripes. So that's what I would describe the kit as, but you may want to describe it in a different way. Regardless of their kits, they were the better side and it was their two fantastic forwards from this season who scored their goals. The first, Dennis Undav, turning in a deflected shot for his ninth of season, all of which have come in his last nine games. Undav used to play for Werder Bremen. He was released by them as a youngster, so great, great decision. It looked like Gerasi had got a goal just five minutes later, but he was marginally offside, so it didn't stand. But in the second half, Stuttgart would be given a penalty. Nicholas Stark making contact with Gerasi in the box. To be honest, I think it was harsh, and I I probably wouldn't have given it. But Gerasi did a penanka to score. It's his 17th goal in 12 in all competitions so far this season. That is absolutely mental. There was a lot of complaining from Werder Bremen about the, the kits that Stuttgart were wearing, which I I struggled to sort of comprehend. But Ole Werner said that when Michael Zetterer was getting ready to take a free kick, Chris Furyk was stood on the sideline having just received treatment and he, he took the free kick and Furyk was allowed to come back on and when he did, he stole the ball immediately and went up the pitch and I think that's what led to the Stuttgart penalty. But to be honest, it's hard to blame that on the kit and the referee... By the rules, didn't do anything wrong because the ball has to be a certain distance away from the player when he comes back onto the pitch. And at the point he waved him back on, he was that far away from the ball because Zetra was about to take the free kick from his own box. So yeah, I don't see why the kit had anything to do with that. And I know the MHP Arena in Stuttgart isn't like the most technologically advanced in the Bundesliga, but like it has floodlights. So you can see the black kits. It's not like they were invisible in the night. But yeah, they're complaining. To be honest, it could have been a lot more if Stuttgart had taken all their chances and they did deserve the win anyway, so they can't complain too much. Borussia Mönchengladbach back to Hoffenheim. One, don't sleep on this Borussia Mönchengladbach side. They have been getting better as the season goes on. Their first goal would come from the penalty spot. Alisson player brought down in the box by Erzan Kabak. Player converting the penalty himself. And he is the first to score against Oliver Bauman from the penalty spot this season in four attempts. Bauman has saved the other three. So that's an impressive feat in and of itself. However, the lead that... Borussia Mönchengladbach got from that goal, didn't last long because three minutes later, Wout Weghorst would head in a Umut Tomunchu cross. I think that's how you say his name. That's what it sounded like the commentator said on the Bundesliga World Feed. But he is 19, Umut, not Wout Weghorst, who is definitely older. But he, he's been getting some minutes over the past three seasons. From what I can tell, this is his first goal contribution for Hoffenheim. So, well done to him. But it wouldn't be enough in the end for even a point. Because after that 
Gladbach would get the winner. Nathan Ngomu with a tap-in in the middle of the box. How he had that much space is beyond me. Oliver Bauman afterwards was really annoyed. He was so annoyed that he did an impersonation of Christ the Redeemer. So he got the ball out of the back of his net and then he just he stood there like Christ the Redeemer with the ball in one of his hands. So apparently that's how Oliver Bauman expresses rage. But anyway, this was a story of defending. Gladbach were solid at the back for most of the game. Hoffenheim, meanwhile, made stupid errors and were punished. Obviously, the penalty being given away by Erzan Kabak and then the fact that Ngomu was so wide open in the middle of the box. He, he practically had his own zip code of space to tap that in. It's Borussia Mönchengladbach's third home win in a row. Barring a bad hiccup against Dortmund a few weeks ago. Actually, was that last week? Yeah, I think it was last week. They're definitely trending in the right direction. Remarkably... It's Hoffenheim's first away loss of the season, though they are winless now in their last four games. Leipzig 2, Heidenheim 1. Let me tell you my favourite part of this game before we get into the goals and, and what the game means. It's one thing to have the skills to be a Bundesliga-level player. Very few people have that. But it's important to combine those skills, if you are so lucky to have them, with the knowledge of when to use them, in what circumstances, and, and why you would be doing that. And no one had a great display of skill meeting up with a lack of awareness more than Chavi Siemens did this week. He was on the left-hand side of the box, trying to attack for Leipzig, of course, and he did a perfect Rabona. It was phenomenal. It looked fantastic. It's one of those clips you could put on highlight shows between now and the end of the season. Feels like the Bundesliga are going to use it in slow motion on one of their fancy intros or something like that. And when you just look at Rabona by itself, it looks great. It looks fantastic. It shows what a great player Xavi Simons is and is going to be. However, the Rabona went into the middle of a box where precisely no Leipzig player was. There wasn't anyone standing there. There was no player who could get on the end of it unless, I don't know, Yusuf Poulsen, it turns out, is Mr. Tickle and he has ultra-long legs. That's a reference and a half, isn't it? First time I've referenced for Mr. Men on this podcast, probably. But, yeah, unless unless someone who was going to have the longest legs in the world to sort of tap it in when they're standing on the halfway line wasn't really going to do much. So that was definitely my my favourite moment of this game, and maybe favourite moment of the weekend. Just absolutely fantastic skill for no purpose whatsoever. But to be honest, Leipzig didn't need the skill of Xavi Siemens doing absolutely nothing because they had other players doing things. Lois Appender would score a penalty Really controversial Heidenheim's players and Frank Smith both complaining about the decision. To be honest, it looked like a, a dive to me from Appender, who did convert the penalty himself. But I, I sympathise with VAR here because it feels like it would have been very hard for, for them to overturn that. Because I was looking at it and I was going, well, it kind of looks like a dive. But there's a lot going on in the area. If I was in the... VAR box in Cologne and they said to me, can you say with 100% certainty that that's a dive? I would have said, no, 
But if the referee had given a dive in the first place and then I'd been asked, can you say that's not a penalty? I would have gone, yeah, it's probably not a penalty. So stick with the decision. So yeah, I, I feel like maybe the ref could have done more to spot that it was a dive. It definitely wasn't the most blatant one we're going to be talking about this weekend if it was a dive. But yeah, I don't I don't know what the AR could have done about that after the referee decided to give a penalty. And he was confident that it was a penalty. He pointed straight to the spot. No hesitation at all. Anyway, Yusuf Paulson would score just before half-time break in the 44th minute to give Leipzig a 2-0 lead. But Heidenheim did get a goal back before the half-time break. Benedict Gimber scoring from a good corner routine. Leipzig did dominate the second half and again... Not been particularly great at taking chances recently. It feels like they're quite wasteful, but they had already done enough to secure victory. Heidenheim can feel aggrieved about the penalty, but Leipzig were the better side, and they would have been very comfortable winners if they had just been able to take their chances. And if Chabby Siemens was able to do Ava Boner into the box for someone, as opposed to for Casper the Friendly Ghost. Final game to mention then from the Bundesliga. Mainz 0, Freiburg 1. The only goal of the game came in the 69th minute. Yeah, we're all thinking it. Anyway, that was when Mikhail Gregoric's first time hit was able to get under Mainz keeper Daniel Batz. This was a game where Mainz had the overwhelming majority of the great chances. Ludovic Ajok will be up all night thinking about that open goal chance he missed. There was one point where Atabolu sort of over-pursued a cross and he, he missed it entirely. The ball was worked back to a joke. At this point, Atabolu, the Freiburg keeper, still not back in his goal. So if he had just slotted it to the left, obviously Atabolu, not obviously, you didn't see it, unless you did, Atabolu to the right of the goal. So if he just played it to the left, Atabolu would have had no chance to get to the ball, but instead he, he sort of aimed it for the bottom right corner, and that meant Atabolu could just get back and get a hand of the ball and make sure it didn't go in. So, yeah, really a joke. Should have been scoring that 10 times out of 10. Leandro Barrero also had a chance of closing stages to tap into an open goal, but he couldn't quite stretch to reach it. I've already mentioned him, but credit has to go to Noah Atabolu, who had a fantastic game and made several important saves. He he was the main reason why Mines didn't get back into this game and didn't get a point. He's had more bad games than good in the Bundesliga this season, in my opinion, but he looks like he's starting to find his feet. And he has been playing well in Europe as well, which obviously is impressive for a goalkeeper, making the leap up from the third tier of German football with Freiburg Schwein. I still have faith in Jan Siever after this game. I was talking about him earlier on when me, Towson, Tam Brown were doing the Thousand Hours podcast. Blug. But I I mentioned that I'd given him my Manager of the Month award in November, which obviously I mentioned earlier on. And I still have faith in him because, to be honest, they could have easily had 10 points from 12 if their finishing was a tad bit better. Instead, they only have five, but yeah... To be honest, this side is still looking way better now under Jan Sievert than they were under Bo Svensson. Anyway, let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then after 13 games of the season. Bayer Leverkusen still lead the way there on 35 points from 13. Three clear of Bayern Munich who of course didn't play this weekend. Stuttgart are in third on 30 points. Leipzig now in fourth on 26 Following Dortmund's draw at Bayer Leverkusen, their fifth on 25 points. 
At the wrong end of the table, Union Berlin also didn't play, obviously. They're on seven points. Mines are on eight. They're in 17th. Darmstadt on nine in 16th. Have the same number of points as Köln in 15th, who move off the bottom of the table. Moving further up the table, Heidenheim and Werder Bremen have 11 points each. They're in 14th and 13th, respectively. Meanwhile, Bochum in 12th have 13. Player of the week then in the Bundesliga this week. I had to think about this for a long time, but I have decided to give it to Noah Atabolu of Freiburg for his impressive performance in keeping Mines out. Like I said, Mines were the best side for most of that game, and whilst they did waste some of their chances, that shouldn't take away from the number of great saves that Atabolu pulled out to ensure that Freiburg would leave with all three points. Okay, it is now time to ditch the scoreboard as we go into the Spider Bundesliga. I don't know if anyone else watched the live streams on Sky this weekend on YouTube, but for some reason, both of them had their scoreboard missing, which was which was very odd. This wasn't a theme in, in Germany, from what I can tell. They actually had the scoreboard still on, but... The games on the Sky Sports YouTube channel were just missing the scoreboard for some reason, which was quite annoying, to be honest. Now, to be fair, I am very glad that Sky Sports in the UK have started broadcasting the Spider Bundesliga this year. It's nice that they're taking the league seriously. They have the license for it. They might as well show the games. And I think it's probably because there's even more big teams in the league this year than there were last year because they they showed games quite regularly two years ago and then they stopped showing them last season and then this year they've started showing them again and I think it probably helps that you know you had smaller sides go up to the Bundesliga in Darmstadt and Heidenheim and bigger teams come down in Hertzberlin and Schalke and that's why they want to show games once again but yeah it, it is nice that they're showing the games but for some reason the scoreboard was missing this weekend and I don't really know why. Anyway, let's go into our first game. Of course, there is only one game that we can start with this time around, and that is the Hamburg derby between the top two in the league, St. Pauli and HSV. It is probably, unsurprisingly, the first time that the two sides have played against each other with them being first and second in the leagues of stakes. As high as they've ever been for the Hamburg derby, the atmosphere in the stadium was absolutely fantastic for this match as you would expect with two very loud fan bases and the game did not disappoint in terms of entertainment for the neutral though both sides probably not too happy with how it went from their own perspective. It was the home side, St. Pauli, who started off as the better of the two. And within the opening quarter of an hour of the game, they would be 1-0 up at first. Well, I'm still not sure about how to describe this goal because either Marcel Hartl's cross was terrible, but Jackson Irving was able to get to it and turn it in. Or it was deliberate and absolutely fantastic because HSV defence didn't see it coming. But Hartle's cross, very outswinging. But Jackson Irving was able to, to get the ball and fire it past Daniel Hoy Fernandez in the HSV goal. One of the two is true, but I am I'm not sure which, to be honest. I, I think Marcel Hartle is a fantastic player. And obviously I think Jackson Irving is also great. So I'm going to go with the it was on purpose explanation though I'm sure a lot of HSV fans would like to claim that St Pauli were very lucky there 
Afterwards, they did have the ball in the net a, a second time a few minutes later, but it was disallowed for a marginal offside against Elias Sad in the build-up. It was the correct decision, but it, it continued to show that St. Pauli were dominating the game at that point. And they were, they were pressing well. They were forcing HSV into mistakes. They were doing everything that you would want from them as they took control of the game. It should probably be stressed that the pitch at the Milan Tour on Friday night wasn't good, which is a surprise because normally it is actually one of the better pitches in the league, but that definitely wasn't the case on Friday. And when you take the fact that the pitch was in not great condition, with the fact that the weather wasn't great, and the fact that St. Pauli were really utilising a high press really successfully as well, You'd think the last thing HSV would want to do is try and play out from the back because that can only lead to disaster. But they they wanted to play out of the back and in the 27th minute, this would backfire in the most spectacular way ever. If you haven't seen the goal, pause the podcast now, go and watch it and come back because... How I'm about to describe it cannot do it justice. I I cannot stress enough this might be one of the funniest moments in the history of not just German football, but of world football. I fell off my sofa laughing at this. It was absolutely amazing. So please, if you haven't seen it, pause the podcast now and come back. I am more than happy to wait because if you pause it, then... I don't go anywhere. This isn't live. This isn't a phone call. So just pause the podcast and come back. You done it? Okay, that's good. So what happened (laughs) is that Daniel Hoy Fernandez took a goal kick. It was short. He played it to Stefan Ambrosius and he immediately played it to Guilherme Ramos. And Ramos, seeing the St. Pauli high press coming to him like a freight train, decided to play it back to Daniel Hoy Fernandez. So far, no problems, except Ramos's pass was a bit too close to the goal. It was it was going towards the goal. It looked like it was maybe just going wide, but from Daniel Hoy Fernandez's perspective, he wouldn't have been able to tell that, and he was pressured by that high press as well, so he didn't have exactly a lot of time to analyse the situation and make sure that he was taking the best course of action. So Daniel Hoy Fernandez, seeing the ball come back to him, made the correct decision. He decided that he just wanted to punt it out. He wanted to just clear the ball in any direction. It was probably going to go out for a throw-in if he'd got what he wanted. But he didn't get what he wanted because he took a big swing at the ball and kicked it st- <laughs> kicked it straight into his own top corner. <laughs> it's the funniest goal of all time. Oh my god. Oh, you you got to watch it. I've watched it a million times already. And like I said, I genuinely fell off my sofa laughing when that went in. <laughs> As somebody said on r-soccer, the the football subreddit, football has peaked, it will never get better than this. This is my favourite moment of all time, maybe. It was absolutely fantastic. This would be funny if it was in any game, but to come in a derby as well just somehow makes it even better. (sighs) Absolutely fantastic. 
I've said many times on this podcast that I think Daniel Hoy Fernandez is the best goalkeeper in this fight of Bundesliga, and for the most part, I still think that's true, but oh boy, this decision was terrible. Though, to be honest, like I said, the main wrong decision from him and from HSV was to try and play out the back on a bad pitch, in bad conditions, facing a very good high press. It was a recipe for disaster, and the worst case scenario did play out for HSV. And to be honest, the first half didn't really get better after that from a HSV perspective. They could have easily gone into the half-time breakdown 4-0 because there was another close offside that could have resulted in a goal for St. Pauli. And funnily enough, another near spectacular own goal when Guilherme Ramos tried to clear the ball out of the corner and cleared it just over his own bar. If he had actually put that into his own net... Not only would that have been the second funniest own goal of all time, but also I think there would have been a lot of HSV fans today genuinely claiming that Ramos had been bought, which they, they're not doing, and I'm not doing, but like I would appreciate why they would have thought that if he had managed to score that own goal, because it would have been truly ludicrous. So yeah, St. Pauli dominating the first half, playing good football as well, but it would all come tumbling down in the space of three second half minutes. In the 58th minute, Robert Glatzel would get the first one back, and then in the 60th minute, Emmanuel Ferrai would get the second to make it 2 all. both of them capitalising on really poor defending from St. Pauli. I mean, the defending for both of those goals was a complete joke from a St. Pauli perspective. I know that Glatzel and Ferrari good players, so maybe don't give them loads of time and space in the box. Maybe, lads, just, just advice for the future. Both sides have their chances after that, to be honest. As a pessimistic St. Pauli fan, I do think HSV had the better of the chances following their two goals, but a draw was the final result and probably fair on the balance of play. Though, to be honest, both sides will be unhappy with their performance. For HSV, they'll be unhappy with the first half, particularly, obviously, that own goal that they they scored, which was real gun-against-foot sort of football. And for St. Pauli, they completely imploded in the space of three minutes. And if they hadn't done that, maybe they hold on for the win. Maybe HSV have the momentum to come back and get that equaliser anyway. But I think they probably do hold on outside of those three minutes of utter defensive madness where everyone just seemed to forget what they were doing. So both sides will be complaining after this match with parts of their performance, though like I said, a draw, probably the correct result. And one that shows us that still these sides are going to probably be up there come the end of the season, so long as St. Pauli don't do their annual tradition at this point of playing really good football in one half of the season and then really bad football in another half of the season and so long as HSV don't do their annual thing of falling apart in the final few weeks of the season they can both easily be promotion contenders. As I said earlier, St. Pauli and HSV enter this game first and second, respectively. St. Pauli are still top of the Spider Bundesliga, but HSV are not in second. They have been overtaken by Holstein Kiel, who beat Vehen 3-2 this weekend. They started off scoring from the spot. Lewis Holtby was brought down by Gino Feschner, 
The penalty was scored by Steven Skribski. And then in the 37th minute, something we've not seen a lot of, well, ever, but has become more common over the last few weeks, Jan Fieter Arp scored. It's his second goal in two games and his fourth for the season. He's never scored this many goals in a season in first-team football. The most, I believe, he's scored in the season was five for the Bayern second team. But playing in a first team, this is the most goals he's scored in one season. So, yay. I mean, we're in December, so he could score a lot more this year and really have a, a breakout campaign. He is still only 23 as well, so it's not like this is the end of his career or anything like that. But, yeah, 2-0 at the half-time break. Realistically, it could have been 4-0. And in the 59th minute, Holstein Kiel would go 3-0 up to seemingly put the game to bed completely. Finn Porath wide open on the right-hand side of the box. How he was given so much base by a Bayhem defence who have been playing well for the most part is beyond me. This game was domination by Holstein Kiel and the final score doesn't really do their performance justice because in the final 10 minutes, they had got two goals back which they didn't really deserve. Both of them coming from Ivan Patashian, he would first head in a Lasse-Gunther cross in the 81st minute and then in the third minute of added time, they had would be given a penalty, utter chaos in the box. VAR said that Nikolai Renberg fouled Patagin. I I can't say that's the case. I can't say it's not the case because there was a lot going on. But yeah, they they decided it was a penalty and I I'm less sure, but I'm also not gonna complain because Holstein killed one anyway, so who cares? The penalty was scored by Patagin. It's his sixth goal of the season. He's made a good start to life in the Spider Bundesliga. So has Vehan. But Holstein Kiel were the better side in this game. It's their third win in a row, and they were dominant. Credit to them, they move up to second in the table, and once again, they do look like a genuine promotion contender. I mean, of course they do. They're second. Another side who are clear promotion contenders for Tuna Dusseldorf. They put in another good performance this weekend, beating Nuremberg 5-0 away from home. The beginning of this game was very uneventful and very uninteresting, but then there was a prolonged break in the action because of an injury to referee Richard Hempel. Seemed to be something to do with his calf. Obviously, I, I wish him a speedy recovery. After a 10-minute break in play, he was replaced by his fourth official, Asad Nohum. I believe it was his first time refereeing a game at the Schweizer Bundesliga level. And he oversaw a much more interesting end to the game than his predecessor had seen through the opening 40 minutes or so. Because the game up to that point had been really boring. And it is quite surprising how it went so quickly from being dull to over in such a short space of time. In the 39th minute, Dusseldorf would get their first of the game. Shinta Applecamp with a cross for the head of Vincent Vermey. Just two minutes later, it would be 2-0. Al Tanaka fought off his defender Lucas Slimer before placing his shot into the bottom corner. The Nuremberg players were complaining about that, saying that Tanaka actually fouled Slimer. But to be honest, you've got to just be stronger than that. He didn't foul him, he just fought him off the ball successfully. It is a contact sport. At the end of the day, you are allowed to, you know, be physical and shoulder your defender off the ball. 
And before the half, it was already game over because in the third minute of first half at a time, it was 3-0. So, three goals coming into space for about seven minutes. It was a combo of the first two goals as well. Altanaka with a cross for the head of Vincent Vermey. With both of Vermey's headers, the defence seemed to have no awareness of where he was and didn't challenge him, which is quite shocking because Vermey is a really good head of the ball. He's a presence in the box and you'd think any Spider Bundesliga defence would be aware of that, but apparently not. So the game had gone from being really dull through, what, the opening 37 minutes to being game over in almost record time. There was a very short window where this game was both interesting and close. So yeah, 3-0 at the half-time break, at that point it already felt like Nuremberg weren't going to be able to mount a comeback, and they didn't, because the only two goals of the second half would be for Fortuna Dusseldorf. First coming from the penalty spot, Nuremberg defender Yanis Horn with a big swing at the ball with his arm. It was a clear penalty, and to be honest, if the stakes were higher, it could have easily been a red card for an egregious handball, because it did look on purpose despite all of his protesting, which was beyond me. It was scored by Vincent Vermey for his hat-trick. It's now 5-2 for the Dutchman. Vermey was shown a yellow card for taunting the fans, but to be honest, I don't think he did anything untoward. He just held up the number three. He had three fingers in the air to indicate that he had scored three goals, despite the fact it was 4-0 at that point, so he probably should have put four fingers up. But yeah, I don't know if the ref thought he was actually swearing at them and had two fingers up instead, but no, he had three. So yeah, I didn't think there was anything particularly wrong with that. I wouldn't like it if I was an opposition fan, but I don't think it was worthy of a yellow card. Anyway, in the 84th minute, Dusseldorf would get their final goal of the game, Jonan Niemic. Dusseldorf just waltzed through the Nuremberg defence like they weren't there. It was no wonder that Christian Mathania was so upset in his goals. For Dusseldorf, this is a continuation of their great form. They won 5-3 last week against Schalke, 5-0 this week against Nuremberg. So, they're clearly one of the better sides in the league. But, I don't really have to say that. That's not cutting-edge analysis. For Nuremberg, they are on a truly bad run of form at the moment. They lost 4-1 last week to Karlsruhe and now 5-0 to Dusseldorf. So, questions are going to be asked about Christian Fiel if this continues for much longer. Schalke 4, Osnabrück 0. You might remember that Schalke fans weren't happy after last week's 5-3 defeat to Fortuna Dusseldorf and the players had to release a letter saying that they were going to be better and while they showed that in this game, this was a great performance against an Osnabrück side who we'll say haven't been setting the league alight so far this season. The first half was as low quality as we should probably expect between two sides stuck in the Spider Bundesliga basement. There was one goal in that half and that was Martin Kaminsky who was credited with it but to be honest he doesn't seem to get anything on the ball. If he did it was a cross from Paul Seguin and the ball goes in the net eventually after a deflection but I can't tell if it was Kaminsky who got anything on it. If he did, it looked like the ball took a sizable deflection off Nicholas Feynman before going in. So it probably should be an own goal. But to be honest, I don't think Kaminsky or Feynman will be complaining about that anyway. The second half was much better from a Schalke perspective. 
The second goal coming three minutes into the second half had the same playmakers from a Schalke perspective as the first goal. Martin Kaminsky with a long ball for Palsa Green who was wide open on the right hand side of the Osnabrück box to score. Simon Torodda would then be given a penalty which he would score having been brought down by Nicholas Feynman in the box so not the best game for the Osnabrück defender. After that, Florian Kleinhansel would put the ball into his own net after a Keenan Caraman header. So, every Osnabrück player apparently playing terribly in this match. Don't take anything away from Schalke though. They were easily the better side in this game and it does give you some hope for the rest of the season. It's exactly what they needed following that defeat to Dusseldorf but they now need to do this against better sides in the league they're playing Hansen next week which when it comes to the Spider Bundesliga food chain you'd have to say are a step up from Osnabrück so they need to be getting a win against them if they want to show that they're not going to be relegation contenders for the rest of the season meanwhile for Osnabrück this was the first game in charge for new manager of Koshinat. a lot needs to change already Hertha Berlin 5, Alversberg 1. This was a very big win for Hertha Berlin against an Alversberg side who we would have expected to do much better here. And that says a lot about where Hertha now are. But they are undefeated in 6 in all competitions. And this was a very tough Alversberg side to get this sort of result against them. It is genuinely monumental. Which again isn't the place where Hertha Berlin would have wanted to be. Fun fact, by the way, this game took place nine days before Union Berlin will play Real Madrid at the same stadium. So, so that's great. But anyway, yeah, big win for Hertha Berlin. There was a bit of controversy at the beginning of the game. Paul Vanner had a great goal disallowed for handball. To be honest, I wouldn't have disallowed it. His arm was in an unnatural position but it's impossible to say that the ball hit it and I think the key factor is that none of the defenders protested either so it, it didn't look like a handball to, to me and I wouldn't have overturned I think the goal was originally given and then overturned on VAR I, I wouldn't have done so but anyway, that didn't really affect the result in the end. I don't think if the goal had stood that Alversberg would have gone on to get anything because Hertha Berlin were so much better through most of the game. The opening goal coming in the 12th minute, a scrap in the box poked in by Linus Gechter. Three minutes after that, though, Thor Jakobsen would score with a great outswinging finish from outside the box. Alversberg have a middling defence for the Spider Buns League. They're not one of the best, they're not one of the worst, but their defending in this game was poor, particularly so on the first two goals. Really bad defending, allowing Florian Niederlechner to tap in in the 23rd minute for his first of the game. 2 1 of a half time break for Hertha Berlin, and in the second half, they would dominate. 3-1 in the 61st minute, John Joe Kenny being able to play through Florian Niederlechner, who was unmarked by the Alversberg defence. Just six minutes later, it would be 4-1. Niederlechner with a big deflection to get his hat-trick. It's five goals in three for the strikers. He really is finding his footing in this hair-to-bell inside. And I said, either last week or the week before, it'd be really nice to see him become that extra attacking threat for hair-to-bell and it would really help them 
propel themselves up the table and he's doing exactly that at the moment and he should be able to do so for the rest of the season as well because he looked like a Bundesliga capable striker for quite a while. Anyway, the final goal in this game of the 71st minute to make it 5-1, John Joe Kenny smashing a shot from outside the box into the top of the net. Alversberg through Pretty much all this game could not defend for Toffee. There was defensive errors on all five of them goals. But don't take anything away from Hertha Berlin. It is their biggest win of the season so far. Like I said, that does sort of show how far they've fallen. But it is something that should be celebrated. And if they keep playing like this, they will find themselves in that promotion race sooner rather than later. Magdeburg against Kaiserslautern and before we go into this game we have to start off with some surprising news which came out before the match which is that Dirk Schuster has been fired as the head coach of Kaiserslautern. Obviously he was the guy who got them promoted from the Dritter League but recent form has not been great for them. Barring their surprise win in the DFB Pokal against Köln, they're winless in six Spider Bundesliga games. And as I've been saying a few times in the last few weeks, the mentality of the club seems to be particularly bad at the moment. Uh, maybe that was what was happening up above going down to the players, or maybe it was the players just not sort of having the right mentality themselves. But it is fair to say that Things weren't looking great at Kaiserslautern as they started to slip into the relegation picture. According to Sport.de, the background to Schuster's exit in Kaiserslautern is a disagreement in squad construction. The sporting director, Hengen, preferred younger players who had resale value. Schuster preferred to rely on experience and apparently the Kaislaut and higher-ups were unhappy with comments he'd made about wanting a contract extension as well. Is this enough to justify the sacking of a manager? I don't know. I guess how his successor does will shape our opinion of his sacking in the future, though, to be honest. It does look like a lot of people who, you know, follow Kaiserslautern are unhappy with what has happened. There were warning signs, that's what I'll say. There were warning signs about the direction this squad was travelling in, the six winless, the mentality of the players on the pitch was bad. But at the same time, it is fair to say, talking about squad construction, that their defence is a joke. It's not a Spider Bundesliga capable defence. I don't know why anyone could be expected to do well with that back line. I mean, I know they've got Andreas Luter to help back there, but still, the the overall quality of that defence is bad and definitely not helping when it comes to trying to stay up in the Spider Bundesliga. That was kind of shown this week as well, because after sacking Dirk Schuster, Kaiserslautern were on the Saturday Night Football, taking on Magdeburg, and they were bad, losing 4-1. Luke Castanios would get the first goal for the hosts when he would get onto the end of a Silas Nyaka long ball. Terence Boyd, though, would equalise before the half-time break for Kaiserslautern's only goal of the game, turning inside the box before slotting into the bottom corner. Probably the most impressive goal of the game, though it didn't really count for anything because, you know, you don't get style points. In the second half, Magdeburg easily the better side. Herbert Botkorn would head in a Barris Attic cross six minutes into the half. 
Conor Krampicki would then get the third for Magdeburg before a fourth would come in the 86th minute from the penalty spot, scored by Cristiano Pacini after Herbert Bockhorn had been brought down by Julian Niehaus in the box. It's Magdeburg's second win in a row after that long, barren run of form. As I said, largely helped by a lack of quality in the Kaiserslautern defence. Kaiserslautern are now winless in... Oh, sorry, they were winless in five before. They're now winless in six. I, I counted the Magdeburg game by mistake. But they're now winless in six games. And they have hired a new manager on Sunday. They announced who the new manager was going to be. And it's Dimitrios Gramosis who is back in the Spider Bundesliga for his third job. His first job was a success. His second job, not so much. But his first job in the league came back in 2018 when he took over at Darmstadt. Ironically, succeeding Dirk Schuster at that job. And he made progress there. He, he did look like a promising manager because he took over when the side were, I believe, in 13th. In his first half season, he took them to 10th. And then the year after, he took them to 5th in the league. But then he left due to a dispute between him and the board. Then he took over at Schalke at the back end of their dismal 2020-21 Bundesliga campaign. And obviously didn't do well there but he was expected to do well in Beast Fighter he did not though he was sacked in March with side in sixth and as we mentioned on that first season of the Going Deutsch podcast as soon as he was sacked and uh, Mike Buskins replaced him Schalke immediately reverted course and ended up winning Beast Fighter Bundesliga which is a damning indictment on how Grimosis was doing he does know Kaiserslautern while he played for the club for five years, though. It's hard to say at the moment that this is necessarily an upgrade. Fingers crossed for him, obviously, I hope he does well. But Kaiserslautern fans don't seem to be too positive about this hiring. And to be honest, I think that's more to do with everything going on around the managerial position more than it is to do with Grimosis and Schuster themselves. Karlsruhe 2, Hansa Rostock 2, and we talked about poor defending in the Kaiserslautern game against Magdeburg, but honestly, you've seen nothing yet because the defending in this match from both sides was truly abysmal. If you are somebody who coaches young players, particularly young defenders, then this is the perfect game to show them if you want to show them how to not defend because I wrote poor defending next to every single one of the four goal descriptions that I wrote in my podcast notes. Hans Vostok took a two-goal lead in the opening 34 minutes of the game, poor defending, allowing Junia Brumado to open the scoring, and then really poor defending again as Damian Rosbach would make it 2-0. Luckily for Karlsruhe, they would get a goal back just before the half-time break, Igor Matanovic having a shot deflect off a defender and going over the keeper, Sebastian Kolka, and this is the first of two examples of Hansa's defenders not learning to clear the ball away from the attackers like both times there was a clearance from a Hansa defender that just went straight to a Karlsruhe attacker in a dangerous position and like just clear it anywhere else clear it out for a throw in clear it out for a corner clear it literally anywhere other than to an attacker that was the case for Karlsruhe's equaliser which would come in the 81st minute it was the worst one of the day as well because Damian Rosbach was not able to clear the ball despite having all the time in the world. Seriously watch this goal because the defending is beyond a joke and it was tapped in 
by Budu Zivzivadze. It is the worst defending I've seen in any Spider Bundesliga game so far this season. It was truly terrible. Neither side deserved to win, and both sides deserve to be near the bottom of the table on the basis of performances like these. Eintracht Braunschweig nil, Greuter Firth won. The only goal of the game coming from the penalty spot from Julian Green. It was a shambles of a decision, though. Armindo Sieve, my tennis Borussia Berlin legend, the player who I loved so much, not anymore, blatantly dived in such an unbelievably flagrant way. It was so obvious, and yet the ref didn't spot it. The AR didn't spot it. It was easily the worst decision of the weekend in German football, at least in the top two tiers. I don't think anything else comes close. It was absolutely stupid. I don't think they are even asked him to look at the monitor, which is absolutely shocking. Still, there were big problems for Eintracht Braunschweig, apart from the fact that that penalty shouldn't have stood. Whenever they went forward, their final pass was lacking, and when they did get the pass right, they would squander the opportunity. Spider Bundesliga defences do not make mistakes often, so when they give you a mistake, when they give you a chance, you have to convert it. Johan Gomez, in particular, will be having sleepless nights about some of the chances that he missed. The same probably goes for Sidi Sane and Maurice Multalp as well. By the way, Sidi Sane, just in case you're wondering, yes, is the brother of Bayern Munich player Leroy Sane. So, Braunschweig were the better side through most of this game. But, like I said, the final pass was lacking, the finishing was lacking as well. They are at least playing better football under Daniel Schoening than they were before, which is the one positive you can take, but the results now need to follow as well. For Greuther Firth, it's their fifth win in a row. They are the form side in the Spider Bundesliga at the moment. Final game to mention them, Paderborn won Hanover nil. Louis Schaub was sent off for an out-of-control challenge in the 20th minute of this game. He was originally shown a yellow card, but the referee was asked to look at the monitor by VAR, and he corrected his decision. It was the correct call, and it was also the correct call to give Ron Robert Zieler a yellow card, because he did what, frankly, too many players do. He was trying to shout at the referee and complain whilst he was looking at the monitor, and the ref rightfully decided to give him a yellow card to shut him up. I wish more referees did that. Paderborn probably shouldn't have struggled as much as they did afterwards. They really lacked in ideas going forward, but they did get a goal in the 91st minute. A very lucky one as well, when a Florence Muslia cross went straight past everyone and into the corner. And to be honest, they were even more lucky after that because Nicolo Tresoldi, the Hanover striker, had a wonderful open goal chance and managed to send his shot wide of the post from very close up. He was within the six-yard box and didn't have the keeper in front of him or didn't have the keeper between him and the goal and managed to miss it, didn't get his footing right. So, yeah, Paderborn were really, really lucky to win this game. Obviously, getting a man advantage in the 20th minute, playing most of this game with a man advantage, not being able to create chances, but seeing a cross go in and then seeing a solid striker miss such an amazing opportunity. They did ride their luck. Okay, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table then. After 15 games played, St. Pauli still lead the way, the only side who are undefeated in the league. 
31 points from those matches, obviously having drawn with HSV this weekend. Holstein Kiel are now up to second place after three straight wins. They're on 29 points and HSV are third on 28. Then we've still got a decent seeded batch for I'd now say the promotion contenders are at the moment down to seven. Though, obviously, a team below can make a run. We still have 19 games to go after all. Fourth are Fortuna Dusseldorf. They are on 27 points. Fifth, Greuther Firth on 27. Sixth, Alversberg on 24. And seventh, Hanover on 23. Hertha Berlin, Behen, Paderborn and Nuremberg all on 21 just behind. At the wrong end of the table, Osnabrück on 7 and 9, Trap Braunschweig on 8 are really starting to be distanced from the rest of the pack. Schalke are still in the relegation places despite their win. They're 16th on 16 points, so 8 clear of Trap Braunschweig, 9 clear of Osnabrück. So that's the challenge for the bottom two. 15th, Hansa on 17, the same number of points as 14th place Karlsruhe, and then Kaiserslautern in 13th on 18 points, and Magdeburg 12th on 19 points. Player of the week in the Spider Bundesliga, I think there was one player who really stood out for me this weekend, decided to give it to Florian Niederlechner of Hertha Berlin for his hat-trick. It is the fourth time this season that a Hertha Berlin player has won Player of the Week, which no other side in the Spider Bundesliga has had. Fabian Reza with two, Harris Tabakovic with one, and now Florian Niederlechner with the other. Okay, it is now time to square up to the referee as we take on Going Deutsch Goes Continental. And don't worry, if you don't get that reference, you will do soon. Obviously, as per usual, I wrote an article on the website that goes into more depth about the games in the Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League. If you want to give that a read, please do so. There will be a link in the podcast description. The only disappointing thing I would say this week with European football particularly with Champions League that there was a lot of good games in the Champions League but only one of them was a game that involved a German team obviously the best two games in my humblest of humble opinions from the Champions League this week were the game between PSV and Sevilla where Sevilla were 2-0 up and then Lucas Campos did a stupid and PSV came back to win 3-2 and also the game between Benfica and Inter Milan where Benfica were unbelievably 3-0 up but blew it and drew 3 all in the end. They were both exceptional games and a lot of the German games didn't live up to the billing. One of them did though and that's the first game we're going to talk about. AC Milan won Borussia Dortmund 3. I don't think anyone expected this when Borussia Dortmund slumped out of the gates to start the group stages with just one point from two games and no goals scored. But having won their last three on the bounce, Borussia Dortmund have qualified for the knockout stages. And they played really well in this game as well. There was a bit of controversy early on. AC Milan were given a very light penalty for a handball against Lotterbeck. Though, to be honest, I don't think it would have been given in the Bundesliga. The only thing I would say is that... Well, two things actually. One, it was consistent with other decisions being made in other Champions League games. And also... Olivier Giroud's penalty was really weak and saved by Gregor Kerbel. A few minutes after that, Dortmund would get a penalty of their own when Calabria brought down Jamie Vino Gittens. The penalty was converted by Marco Voice. Samuel Chukweze equalised for AC Milan when he found it far too easy to waltz into the Dortmund box. But after that, Dortmund did take control of the game. Jamie Vino Gittens and Kareem Adeyemi scoring to put the game to bed. 
on last week's episode of Going Deutsch, when we were talking about the Borussia Mönchengladbach game, I said it wasn't a result you could take too much optimism from, from a Borussia Dortmund perspective, but this game is. Hopefully, this is a blueprint for future games and how Borussia Dortmund should play for the rest of the season. I mean... Matt Tummels and Marco Royce were both absolutely fantastic. It's like they rolled back for years and we saw the potential from Jamie Bynell-Gittens and Kareem Adeyemi that we have wanted to see more of this season. So yeah, hopefully they use this as a blueprint for the rest of the campaign and actually the most impressive thing probably was the fact that their mentality was great after this game. It was great during the game and it was great after the game as well because having qualified from the group, they are now targeting first place which they can get if they beat or draw with PSG, I believe, in their next game in, what will it be, nine days' time? So, yeah. Well, actually, no. It'll be seven days' time, won't it, when this podcast goes out? So, obviously, a lot of reason to be optimistic for Borussia Dortmund after this match. Manchester City versus Leipzig. Now, I'm not actually going to talk about this game. I want to talk about something else, which is that we... Despite the problems we have in German football, and we do have problems in German football, but we probably sometimes should need to stress how fortunate we are to have a system that is not as terrible as it could be. And the reason I bring this up is because the weekend before this game, Manchester City were playing their Premier League match, and there was a big banner that flew overhead over Manchester City's stadium, Asking for the UAE to release Ahmed Mansour. Now, obviously, Manchester City are owned by the UAE, more or less. Mansour was imprisoned by them in 2017 due to his protesting for human rights. Amnesty International have recently been talking about him because it's the anniversary of his... Oh, no, sorry, it's his birthday, I believe. And so Amnesty International were talking about him and they said, quote, The authorities have held Ahmed Mansour in solitary confinement and denied him access to books, writing materials and basic hygienic items. This mistreatment is cruel and degrading and because of the extremely prolonged isolation from human contact may amount to psychological torture. So this is a another slamming indictment on just how bad the UAE is as a country and the fact that no one should support their government and yet when this banner flew over Manchester City Stadium the like 12 fans there decided to loudly start chanting the name of Sheikh Mansour which really shows you what that fan base is like if you are the sort of person who does that you are objectively a bad person it's one thing to support a club who are owned by scumbags like these it's another to actively support them because you view big name players and shiny trophies as being more important than human rights and basic decency so, yeah, we should be glad that we do not have this in the Bundesliga and hopefully we will never get this in the Bundesliga because it's at times like this where it feels like the German game is the last bastion of the big European leagues that is protecting us from awful sports washing like this. Just to speak about this game from a Leipzig perspective, for, for two seconds, Lois Appender is improving as a player Obviously, they signed him this summer for big money, and I don't know how he did this weekend because I'm I'm recording this before the weekend games, but 
he he has vastly improved over the last month and he was very good in this game as well and he could of course get even better which is what Leipzig are hoping for. Bayern Munich nil, Copenhagen nil. Both sides realistically got what they wanted out of this game because Bayern Munich didn't want to risk anything, didn't want to get any injuries and they were able to leave this game having avoided that. Meanwhile Copenhagen because of a result earlier in the day between Manchester United and that bad team from Turkey that I don't like. They knew that a point would mean that their fate was in their own hands going into the final group stage game. And so they just parked the bus and desperately attempted to get out of there with a point, which they did. So fair play to them. Bayern Munich, I said they were going to win six from six, but to be honest... There's no reason to desperately go after that. It's not like you get a special sticker or anything for for winning all your games of the group. So this this game worked out for both sides. Score ball. Braga won Union Berlin won. This was the first game in charge for new Union manager Nenad Bieliska. And obviously the stakes were massive for him and for Union Berlin because they knew that they realistically needed to win this game if they wanted to get into the Europa League. The Champions League is already off the table for Union Berlin, but a win here would have taken them into third place, going into the last group stage match, and it would have meant that they would have had a good chance of getting into the Europa League. And the game started off absolutely perfectly from an Union perspective. Around the 20-minute mark, Braga's Siku Niakate was sent off for a bad challenge. And then just before half-time, Robin Gersens would give Union Berlin the lead. However, the second half was not a dream. It was a nightmare because Alvaro Jallo would score in the 51st minute for Braga. And then Union didn't threaten through the rest of the game, despite having a man advantage, so they really should have done. So, a 1-0 draw. They can still get into Europa League place if they beat Real Madrid on the last day of the group stage and Braga lose to Napoli. But there's nothing about how Union have been playing recently that would allow me to believe that that's possible. Moving on to the Europa League. Very simple wins for both sides involved. Freiburg 5, Olympiakos 0. Mikhail Gregovic had a hat-trick in the opening 36 minutes of this game. Kylian Sildilia would add another in the 42nd minute to make it 4-0 at the half-time break. And then Ritsu Doan would score one more for Freiburg in the 77th minute because, as we all know, the fifth goal is the real insurance goal. It sets up a really interesting last-day battle for Freiburg because they go to London to take on West Ham United. And they go there knowing that a win will give them first place in the group and that all-important next round bye. Meanwhile, if they get a draw or lose to West Ham, they'll be coming back into European action probably sooner than they would have wanted. The other game in the Europa League, BK Hacken 0, Bayer Leverkusen 2. Bayer Leverkusen didn't find it as easy this time against BK Hacken as they did when they were in Germany. They beat them 4-0 in the reverse fixture, but this was still a good game, obviously. Getting a win to make it 5 from 5 for the group. Victor Boniface getting the first goal for Bayer Leverkusen in the first half. And then in the second half, Patrick Schick would get his first goal in eight months when he turned in a Stanisic cross. Stanisic, by the way, getting both of the assists for those goals. And you could see just how much it meant to him. And he said that in the post-game press conferences as well in the post-game interviews. And yeah, hopefully, obviously, Patrick Schick has had a, a bad 2023. I think we can all 
say that, but hopefully this is the start of a revival for him, and we start to see the Patrick Schick we remember from 2021, and the, the start of the Bundesliga in the making that we thought we had. He can still be that, he just obviously needs to get a good run of form, and he couldn't have a better manager at the moment than he does in Chabi Alonso. Final game to mention, the Europa Conference League, and this one was not as ideal as the two games of Europa League. Eintracht Frankfurt won PAOK 2. This means that Eintracht Frankfurt have lost the group to the side from Greece because they've lost both games, and I think PAOK are 5 from 5, or maybe 4 from 5. Either way, whatever they are, they have won the group over Eintracht Frankfurt. The first half was not particularly interesting. Eintracht Frankfurt did dominate the game, but they didn't really threaten. They didn't have many good chances. And then in the second half, Elisha Shaqiri would go off injured. And then, shortly afterwards, the Adler would concede a hover goal. No one could clear a rather basic corner, allowing for it to eventually be poked home by Thomas Kejura. That seemed to wake Eintracht Frankfurt up at first because a few minutes later, Omar Mamouche would head in an equaliser. Then Frankfurt did have a second goal disallowed for a marginal offside. It was the correct call. But PAOK would get their lead back in the 73rd minute. Kevin Trapp spilling a harmless shot into the path of Andrija Zivkovic for a tap-in. The worst part of the game came after that. Frankfurt did have a lot of chances. They could have scored, but they were unable to. But... In second half at a time, Christian Jakic was sent off for a second bookable offence. Jakic barely plays for Eintracht Frankfurt. He plays once every one or two months. And what he did was a surefire way to make sure he doesn't play again. Because he looked kind of annoyed after... Well, he looked very annoyed after the first yellow card. After the second yellow card, he fully squared up to the ref like he wanted a fight. Which is not a great idea to be perfectly honest. And then, as he was going off, he kicked a ball. It looked like he... Oh, no, was it a ball? Was it a water bottle? I think it was a water bottle. It looked like he was kicking it at the cameraman, but I can't say that's definitely the case. And then, he squared up with the fourth official as well because he wanted to fight him. Stop. Let's just be thankful that he didn't go full Decanio and actually push someone because that would have been way worse for Eintracht Frankfurt if he did. But, yeah... I'll be stunned if he plays for the club for a very long time after those antics. Eintracht Frankfurt are still through to the knockout stages, but this defeat means that they have to go through another round, which realistically they shouldn't have been doing with the group they were dealt. Moving on, let's talk about the Dritter Liga from this weekend. Jan Regensburg just keep on going. They've won their 10th game in a row following a 3-2 win against bottom of the table Freiburg Schwei. In the process, they've extended the gap at the top of the league to six points after Dinamo Dresden lost their third game in a row, 1-0 to Ville, who now move within three points of the automatic promotion places. Sandhausen beat previously fourth place Rottweiss Essen 2-1. They've fallen to sixth behind fifth place Sandhausen and fourth place Ulm. That's Essen who have fallen to sixth, by the way. Ulm beat Victoria Köln 3-1 this weekend. Following them, we have a fantastic seeded batch in the Dritte Liga still. So, Ville on 30 points, Ulm on 29, Sandhausen 27, Rock by Sesson 27, that's 3rd through 6th, and then 7th, SBG Al 26, 8th, Unterhashing 25, 9th, Ingolstadt 25, 10th, Borussia Dortmund 25, 24, 11th, Saarbrücken 23, 
12th, Prussia Munster, 22. 13th, Armenia Bielefeld, 21. 14th, Victoria Köln, 21. And 15th, 1860 Munich, 20 points. So, both sides all so close to each other. The Dritter League are proving itself to be a fantastic league once again this year, as we are now two games away from the halfway point. At the wrong end of the table, Duisburg are off bottom at the expense of Freiburg Schwei. A 92nd minute goal by 19 year old American Santiago Castaneda would see them beat 17th place Lubeck 1 0. Really good finish as well. Mannheim of the other side in the relegation places. They conceded in the 91st minute thanks to Pascal Testroe. Not the best defending ever, or not the best pronunciation either, to drop two valuable points and draw one all. Untashin versus Halasher was postponed this weekend. Those who know their German geography will know that Untashin is essentially in like Greater Munich. Untashing's ground is about 20 kilometers away from the Allianz Arena for Bayern. So, yeah, that shows you how close they are. The game was obviously snowed in. Just before we go into the preview of the upcoming matches in the DFB Pokal, a bit of news that caught my eye that doesn't really fit anywhere else in the podcast. So we all remember that the German women's team really didn't do well at the World Cup this summer. They were knocked out in the group stages, despite being one of the tournament favourites. Well, during their World Cup campaign, there was a documentary film crew following the side around Australia. This was for the documentary Born for This, Mare Aus Fußball, which was broadcast on ZDF. And there has been one scene in particular that has been doing the rounds on social media. That was when the players Lena Magul and Laura Freigang showed the filmmakers around their room and the DFB had left up messages around the room for the players to remind them about some of the basics of just existing as a person on planet earth. So among these stickers that the DFB had put up in all of the rooms for the women they put on the fridge quote drink all day and check your urine and then Next to the wardrobe, there was a sticker on what to wear in bed, which was, you know, pyjamas and, and stuff like that. And then there was another one that said, the bed has one function, sleep. Now, there's a few, particularly with that last one, there's a few sort of concerning thoughts about what the DFB were thinking when they decided to put these stickers up and i'm sure there are innocent interpretations and very not innocent interpretations of these stickers particularly the one about the bed only having one function which is for sleep but you know i'll let you think about them in your head i'm not going to save them but we're all aware of like what one of the connotations of, of that message is the main thing for me is how patronizing all of this comes across as like Telling a professional athlete to continue to drink water through the day is, is fairly obvious. Even most people listening to this know about checking their urine to see how hydrated they are. That's not exactly a, a stunning revelation. And I would wager that all of the German team knew that anyway. And then the, the one about the bed having one function for sleep. I mean, again, I just I don't want to get into it, but... There are very different ways in which you can interpret that, but no matter what you're interpreting it as, it almost feels more like a a year 
eight school trip. I know that might not work with German school groups, but like a, a trip for like teenagers or maybe even younger than that, where they're having to tell them about the basics, the absolute basics, and it just comes across like they think these, bearing in mind, professional female athletes who are grown adults who play sports for a living are like eight-year-olds who need to be told everything and need to be absolutely micromanaged. It, it just comes across as truly terrible. The players who were talking about this on the documentary, Nina Magul and Laura Freigang, said that it was a nice gesture but simply unnecessary. And that's like the kindest way I think you can look at this because the other way is to say that they think that the female players are 10 years old. But I like this. Would you expect the men's team to have had those messages? Because I I doubt it, which is concerning. If, if they did have these messages, then that's bad, but I guess less bad than if they only decided to display those messages for the women's team. But yeah. Not exactly a great sign from what wasn't the best tournament for the German national team. Okay, it is now time to close the podcast this week. Not with Topspiel Das Wochenende, but Topspiel Das Woche. Because it is the DFB Pokal in midweek. It's the round of 16 and therefore we'll have eight fixtures to determine the sides who will get into the quarterfinals. So we're just going to go through all of those fixtures in chronological order. They are split over two days and with two time slots, I guess. So first of all, Tuesday at 6 o'clock Central European time, if you're in the UK, knock off one hour. The first games will kick off and they are all Spider Bundesliga affairs. Kaiserslautern against Nuremberg. Obviously, Kaiserslautern will be managed by Dimitrios Grimosis for the first time. Meanwhile, Magdeburg are taking on Dusseldorf. Then the 8.45pm kickoffs. Borussia Mönchengladbach against Wolfsburg is an all-Bundesliga affair. Can Niko Kovac keep his good run in the DFB Pokal going despite not being the best in the Bundesliga at the moment? And then the one I'm most dreading, of course, Homburg against St. Pauli. Will Homburg get yet another big scrape in this DFB, Pakal, they've already knocked out Darmstadt and Greuterfer for St. Pauli with an X1 to be added to their victim list. Then we move on to the games on Wednesday and again, two games kicking off at 6 o'clock, two games kicking off at quarter to 9. The 6 o'clock kickoffs, the other really big exciting game in this round of the Pokal. Saarbrücken having knocked out Bayern Munich get to host Eintracht Frankfurt. And Eintracht Frankfurt side who are not in good form either at the moment. Bayer Leverkusen, meanwhile, are hosting Paderborn. And then the quarter to nine kickoffs head Berlin against HSV and Stuttgart against Borussia Dortmund in an all Bundesliga affair. So, the most interesting games for me, I guess it's kind of interesting to see how Kaiserslautern do with their new manager. Meanwhile, obviously, Homburg against St. Pauli is more interesting, in my opinion, than the All-Bundesliga affair. Though, my answer might have changed if Homburg actually win. God, I'm genuinely dreading it. Meanwhile, on 
Wednesday. I think both of the games kicking off at 6 o'clock are fantastic. Saarbrücken against Eintracht Frankfurt and Bayer Leverkusen against Paderborn. For much of the same reason, though, maybe because Saarbrücken knocked out Bayern Munich in the last round, that seems like the more interesting game. And then, of course, the final game, Stuttgart against Borussia Dortmund, two sides in the top five of the Bundesliga, is going to be a good match. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast for this episode. I'm going to be back on Thursday to talk about those eight games from the DFB Pekali. Yes, I've decided at the last minute to do another episode. I mean, we've got the winter break coming up soon. So I'm going to go a long period of time without being able to do the podcast. So, yeah, that feels like it makes the most sense for me. But anyway... Until then, I've been Alex Woodward. I hope you are enjoying the start of the Christmas period. I hope you've been having lots of nice treats in your advent calendar if you have one. I mean, I'm 25. I still have one. They're fantastic. I've got a custom limp one. It's it's absolutely amazing. Anyway, I hope to see you on Thursday, hopefully in a good mood as well. But until we meet again, I'll be the same.